Thanks for coming on the show. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. I'm Marta DeBellis, and I'm the Chief Marketing Officer at HireView. Okay. So I know you've got, you've got quite the interesting background in that you actually studied engineering. So electrical computer engineering, graduated 93 uh, in Wisconsin-Madison. First role out of uni was at Intel. So it sort of makes sense that an engineer jumps into that sort of business, but not as a marketer. So explain that one for me. Yeah, it's kind of super interesting. So I always liked math and science as a child. And when I was looking to go to university, I wanted to study one of the most difficult things that I could study. So I picked electrical computer engineering, which I guess was timely. Um, If you look at how tech has taken off in the last 30 years, hard to believe it's almost 30 years that I've been in this business. But the interesting part is I didn't like working by myself, you know, just doing the coding. And I liked working with people. And so when I got into Intel, they had this amazing program, which was a rotation program for microprocessor Uh designers. And my last rotation was in technical marketing. And I was like, this is fantastic. I get to look at how to take the technology and translate the benefits and communicate about the technology. And so that was my first foray into marketing. And one of the interesting things at Intel at the time is even when they hired people directly into marketing roles, it was a requirement that you had to have a technical undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. And so it was very focused on making sure that they had people that had the chops to understand the technology, but then, you know, then moving into marketing. So I I learned most all of the marketing on the job. Wow. So do you think there was like a personality trait that aligned you best with going into the marketing space as opposed to being an engineer per se? Absolutely. I think I love to collaborate and work with people and to problem solve. And um, I'm just more social. So I think a lot of those traits uh, are not always traits of an engineer. um, And that's kind of what drew me in. I also, uh, when I was still in college, maybe there was an earlier step. I did what was called a co-op or like an internship at Intel before I graduated. And I actually worked in the sales office, which is kind of funny too. Um, I was put in the sales office answering phones for people that had questions about the products. And I had to just figure out how to find the answers, find the right person. They had like these data books of all of the specs (laughs) on the products. And so that was probably even one step before where I was like, wow, this is really interesting looking at how to, you know, talk to the customer about the product. Um, and that that kind of drew me in. It makes sense when you think about it. They need technically minded people to be able to speak to the customer. So if you're an undergrad, um, you know you're probably cheaper than uh, an engineer who's done post grad, um, and it gives you a, a way to understand the customer because it's it's a, it's a smart system. I, I understand why they would have done that. What, what do you wish you knew before? Like obviously, you, it sounds like you learned most things on the job as a marketer. What do you wish you knew before you got into this space about marketing itself? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that is more and more important is connecting marketing to the goals of the business. Okay. And I think often kind of younger marketers come in and they're focused on the KPIs for their trade 
uh, impressions, you know, cost per click, CAC. But how does all of that connect up to, you know, the bottom line financial goals of the company? And so that's something that I've also been really drawn to and kind of made a passion in my career is really not only looking at how to communicate and explain to the customer, but how to understand the business and what we're trying to do from the business side. And I think you could be much more valuable as a marketer if you always have a reference for what you're doing in the context of the business or the company that you work for. Do you, do you think then that's interesting? So it sort of sounds like um, at a basic level when it comes to progression, like you, you're initially sort of really performance focused and what allows someone to build up in their role is becoming more of a brand marketer, particularly when you get to those CMO positions because you're no longer in the, the weeds, so to speak. Does that sound right? You know, I think I think you can come in in lots of different places, and I've certainly seen that throughout my career. I think people can have an interest in, you know, the tech side and come in in marketing operations, helping to run the tech tools. I think they can come in and start their career even on the agency side and maybe work more on the creative and the brand side. So I, I don't necessarily think you have to start in one place or another. But I do feel like if your ultimate goal is to get to be a CMO, it is important that you're bridging and learning kind of all of the disciplines across marketing. Right. Um, and one of the things that I always kind of tell my teams is it is two things. One is to think about being kind of a natural connector. How do you like who are the people around you? Who are the stakeholders that you're working with and how can you learn from them? And then one of the other things is, you know, taking stretch assignments. And so maybe you're in one area, but you are interested in something else. How can you volunteer to work on a project or something so you can kind of build that breadth of marketing? Okay. But at the end, I do think it is a combination to be a good CMO. I think you have to be data-driven and understand, um, you know, specifically how to connect what you're doing in marketing to the revenue for the company. And you have to be on the brand side and learn how to make that emotional connection to the audiences that you're trying to reach. Yeah, so. it's it's not it's not definitely not an easy task. Um, and I know for you, you probably would have learned this over years in the industry. I mean, it was intriguing to look back at your career at large. I mean, quite the pedigreed career working at McCann, Adobe, um, and now today at Highview. Basically, it seems like you went from after Intel, it was agency, then a period of time freelance, then in-house again. And I was sort of curious, you know, you, you look at a vast career and, and, I, and wonder what are sort of the key principles that that person's gleaned from that career, particularly from a marketing point of view. So what were those, what are those golden principles to you when it comes to marketing? Yeah. And I think just a couple of things to share on that journey. I think first for me, there was a journey even in the, I was at Intel almost 15 years yeah. and, and there, you know, I started working kind of in the um, software developer group, which was a little bit more technical and looking at how to market to developers. And then I went overseas and I worked in Munich for two years and did kind of like solutions marketing. And this was, it's kind of funny looking back, this is when the internet was taking off. I remember we were talking to companies about how to use more multimedia on the web so they could better connect with their audiences. And ultimately, you needed more microprocessor power. So we were trying to sell uh -huh. chips, right? So it's kind of funny to think back to that. And then when I came back, I worked in a product group and was a marketing leader for a 
a business division. And I think there's something to be learned about being inside of a product group that has a P&L and you're specifically looking at marketing that product. And then I went over to the corporate marketing side, which was more focused on, on the brand. I worked on the massive Intel uh-huh. side program, which is a billion dollar you know, branding program of looking at how to do co-branding and partner marketing and take the brand and extend it through the ecosystem of the computer manufacturers. So I feel like each of these steps, there were so many learnings along the way. And then I did campaign marketing, which is really, I think, based on the, you know, I think this is a really important thing is the the strategy and really just getting a, a basic flow. And this is one of the things I actually interview younger marketers. It's like, what would be an outline for developing a marketing plan? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's, you know, what are the objectives you're trying to solve? Who is the audience you're trying to go after? What is the message that you're trying to communicate? And then what are the strategies to get there, and then the programs or tactics that support the strategy, and then how do you measure all of that? And so mm-hmm. that basic kind of um, elements of a marketing plan is something I learned doing what we called campaign strategy or campaign marketing. Anyway, and so then all of that, I kind of pivoted to then going to the agency side. And, and the reason I went to the agency side was to kind of switch from the hardware to the software side. And so my big client when I went to the agency side was Microsoft. So I went from okay. you know, the whole Wintel realm from the Tel side to the Win side. That was focused on B2B marketing and when digital was really taking off and looking at how to use all the digital channels yeah. um, and to plan uh, media. And I worked on this, my, my first role was, was strategy. And it was looking at what the client needed and then looking at how we build the strategy around that and then working with all the functions in the agency to execute the creative or the media plan um, or the content. Um, so that was you know, really interesting um, along the journey there. Yeah. It's funny you met, you talk about strategy. I was listening to this podcast the other day, which I absolutely love. It's by this guy, David C. Baker and Blaine's. Uh, it's called Two Bobs. And uh, when it comes to running agencies, they're sort of like independent agencies, that is. They're like the go-to. And it, it was funny. They asked this question of all, not candidates, but all the businesses they work with. And the question is, what does strategy mean to you? And it's such a general question and a hard one to define, but I'm curious, what does strategy mean to you? Yeah. So for me, strategy is, is what are you trying to accomplish? You know, kind of what's the end goal yeah. and how do you, how do you get there? And then how do you know that you're successful? Okay. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny how many people you ask that question and they don't really know, like they, <laughs> they, they know, but they, they also don't, they can't actively define it. You, you spoke about how, when you're hiring i don't i don't know how often you're hiring these days but you know speaking to marketers i think did you mention that there was sort of a campaign component in that hiring process you actually speak to them about a campaign it sort of sounds like they're theorizing on a campaign in the process is that right yeah and i think it it's interesting because it ties to your strategy question what i try to do is to get a sense of how do people think yeah. And I find that people often quickly go into the tactics of what they would do, but they don't communicate or think through clearly the why or the what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so depending upon the role, you know, what I like to 
get them to think about. And in some cases, I'll assign a case and actually give them an assignment and have them build a plan and pitch it back to a panel of people. But is the, you know, what, what is the objective for trying, what you're trying to accomplish? Who are you targeting? You know, what's the end goal? And you can apply that basic outline for a plan to anything, whether you're building an events plan or you're building your SEO strategy or you're building, you know, a campaign strategy for an overall audience. So I think that basic concept is really important. And I find that there's so many people that miss that, like you said, when you're, you know, when people are asking about what a strategy means. So yeah, the what, the why, that's really interesting. So it sort of sounds like almost the people who um, just aren't there yet as a marketer, it's almost like they're, they're, they're lacking an awareness and communication, so to speak, because I'm, I guess any strategy is a good strategy when it comes to marketing, so long as you can communicate it to your peers and have them criticize it, that's all that matters, right? Yeah. And I think there's, there's strategy at different levels, you know, like strategy for a particular channel that you own or piece of the marketing mix. And then there's strategy on how do you bring it all together? And I think ultimately my definition of campaign strategy is, you know, that you're going after a certain audience, trying to ultimately get them to buy something. And then what is the entire strategy and and the entire uh, marketing mix for how you're going to go after that strategy? And then how will you measure that you're successful? So uh, on your own career, obviously, after McCann, you went back, uh, you did the freelance component, then you went back in-house. What what did you learn about being in an agency that pushed you in the in-house direction again? Or was it merely you were being pulled from from someone else into that space? Yeah, so a couple of things. Um, I think the, the fun part about being at an agency is you get to work across multiple clients. And yeah. so you get to learn you know, from different businesses, best practices. I think the flip side is that you are, uh, you know, they're telling you what to do, right? Because they ultimately own the budget and they ultimately own the top level strategy. And so I realized as I went through that process that that played an important role in my career, but I really like to be the owner and I like to be the one telling others what to do, not being told what to do. Yeah, so that's, that's why I went back um, on the on the client side. That's good. Uh, it's so funny. We've interviewed people like um, when we do the, the the standard uncommon series, which is founder focus. There's one thing I've got to say, there's always um, a consistent pull for strategists, marketers in agencies to go back to the brand side at some point, which is always really funny. And then there's the ones that um, are so scarred from their experience in agency land that they end up and just go found their own brand, obviously, as founders, um, because they want complete and utter control. Uh, but that's that's super funny. That being said, I, I always find that marketers are sort of the best business founder, the best positioned business founders I've, I've ever come across. Every time I've done interviews, the product and positioning of the marketing mix, I, I don't think I've ever been able to fault one that was founded by someone who came from agency land. So I guess there's something to be said about that skill set, right? Yeah, well, you got to um, work hard with the pitch, you know, to win, yeah. win the business and understand the environment and the context. But yeah, but then coming into Adobe, Adobe was like the best of all worlds, right? Because you had the creative yeah. side with the creative cloud. And then when I came into Adobe was when Adobe was building out, it was originally called the um, Marketing Cloud. It's now called the Experience Cloud, but all of the digital marketing tools. 
And so that was just a fantastic way to put all the pieces together from my agency background and then my technical kind of analytical background um, growing up as an engineer. And then um, to be able to look at doing that, um, you know, targeting a B2B large uh, business on, on focused on customer experience. So, so you, Adobe at that time, that would have been really interesting. I'm just trying to think, when did my um, co-founder and wife start complaining about um, Adobe going from pure license to a subscription focus? So you must have been there. It must have been like 2013, 14. Was that when they sort of pivoted to being completely cloud subscription base? I think it was a little bit before that was when they made the crossover from buying package ah, software okay. to being subscription. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's it, you know a fantastic case uh, on uh, building out the whole SaaS business model. Um, yeah, that that was a brilliant business move. I've got to say, so good. Yeah. Um, and it must have been really interesting marketing that um, as an organization. When you look at your career, I guess. Uh, You've had quite some time in senior positions today. The job of a CMO, like we were discussing before, it's sort of part brand strategist, a lot of people management or PL management these days, uh, a little bit of performance marketing, more so to supplement uh, what is becoming a position that is sort of a novice data analyst in a way. I, I was just curious, you know, looking at your own toolkit today, what are sort of the most crucial components for you at Hireview? You know, when you wake up, I know what I'm like, I'll, I'll look at my phone, it's straight to emails or straight to um, Slack because everything is about people in my business um, and, and responding to them essentially as an MD. So for you, what's sort of like the go-to um, elements that you're looking at? Yeah. I think one of the other things I want to mention that's in my toolkit, um, and and I learned a lot of it working at Adobe and working in different markets and on different pieces of the business is, is also having an active role leading the overall go-to-market strategy. Okay. And particularly in a B2B business, what that means is um, looking at building an ideal customer profile and kind of a scoring model for prioritizing the propensity to buy within, in our case, it's large enterprise. So our primary target is uh, enterprise businesses over 10,000 employees. Okay. Um, but really pivoting to more of an account-based demand model. Um, but this impacts the entire go-to-market, which is sales, uh, the inside sales function or account development function and marketing. And looking at uh, kind of tearing out those accounts uh, you know, you can picture kind of a pyramid and the, the top accounts in the pyramid are the ones you want your most expensive sales reps going after and driving mm. the biggest deals. And then as you go down the pyramid, then you're leveraging more of your account development team, which is typically your phone sales team. Um, and then marketing really works across all of the tiers, but in different ways. And so you want to have more kind of high touch uh, uh, executive engagement programs to move up into the C-suite with your engagement at that top tier. Mm. And then as you get down, and we even have a kind of like a mid-market tier at the bottom of smaller companies that we're going after. And there we're definitely using all of our digital channels, SEO, SEM, uh, paid media, um, to really reach and nurture those, but moving them through the buyer journey with different messages, going from awareness to kind of demand to um, consideration and purchase. 
And so that's the flip side of the tool right now is one is what is the go-to-market? How do you align your resources against that propensity model? And, and um, the alignment on that with sales is super important. And then the flip side of that is when you look at the customer journey, how are you planning out your messages, your content, and then your channels, your programs to touch those uh, different personas at different phases of the journey? The, the executive sort of top um, C-suite stuff is really interesting to me because, you know, when you run an agency, particularly one like ours, that specialize specifically around uh, social and um, influencers and uh, all that sort of stuff. I, it's sales are, you know, we, we might have 20, 30 accounts at any one time across the entire business. Um, they're larger accounts. We're not looking for 100, 300 accounts, um, like volume-based agencies. So our typical client really is that C-suite type of person, but they also aren't you know, making buying decisions. I mean, they'll have someone go reach out, do the initial research on whoever's offering services in the market, but it's a longer-term engagement, like you said, more C-suite focused. How do you guys internally think about that? Particularly with, like with COVID, it's made things very tricky in that, you, you know, you can't get that physical touch. You can't be meeting in person as much anymore or, you know, in the past, in the last year. How have you guys approached that sort of market? Yeah. Well, just to set a little bit of context. So uh, HireVue's mission is to democratize hiring. Mm. And we were founded 17 years ago, w- really focused on building out video interviewing. And we bridged from video interviewing to building AI-based assessments to help qualify and look at the competencies for success in a particular job. And then most recently, we acquired a chatbot company and are in the conversational AI space to look at how you can engage candidates with like text to apply. Uh The reason I give you this context is we went from the brand being HireVue equals video interviewing to when I came in about nine months ago, my challenge was to reposition HireVue as an end-to-end hiring mm. experience platform that can help uh, companies you know, engage, screen, assess, interview, and hire across this buying journey. And so as we looked at that, what we were trying to do, and then this account-based approach, we basically built a messaging strategy that looked at the different personas. So the CHRO or the chief yeah. people officer at the top, and then our primary buyer is the vice president of talent acquisition. Uh, but there's also recruiting teams, campus hiring teams. And so in each of those accounts, we're looking at how do we touch multiple personas with different programs. So coming back to your question about the executive engagement, I have to say it's been super difficult <laughs> in this COVID year. And we've had to try different things. So we've created a virtual executive briefing program. Uh that our sales team can set up. Um, So that's one mechanism where we've looked at the content that we'd want to communicate. And a lot of that is more thought leadership content, looking at hiring trends, looking at diversity and inclusion, looking at this um, topics like artificial intelligence and automation and kind of the rapid acceleration to digital um, and building out that content, but then also looking at how we can do virtual executive experiences. It could be, you know, sending a wine tasting kit and having someone join the call and, and take people through that experience or sending, 
you know, an interesting package of swag to get their attention. Um, but that's been been difficult to do that because so much of that is based on on relationships and and connecting with people in person. And then the other thing we've used is worked with some uh, channels in our space. There's things like Concera or Avanta that they have the CHRO audiences in their you know um, programs, and they can curate and get you meetings with that C level audience. Um, and help set that up by building, they built their own network and they work with multiple HR tech company yeah. just to give them access. Yeah. To, to that point, it sort of sounds like um, the thing that you should never do in any downturn or um, any period like what we've had with COVID is not do marketing. You know, you just need to consistently maintain that budget, continue to do content and be front of mind for when that decision, decision maker is ready or starting that process so that you're there first. Um, yeah, it would be very, very hard though at the moment, obviously with the fact that you, you've not been able to meet in person. So I can imagine Zoom meetings and send outs, swag send outs, like you said, have been a major component of that. You're speaking about the product before. So end-to-end hiring experience, video interviews to assessments, to screening. And it sort of sounds like now with this chat function, um, that would be in those initial stages, maybe it's FAQs, maybe it's um, that initial screening of that individual. So it's it's quite an interesting space as to what can tech do to upend, not upend, but change um, an interpersonal process. And so how does that impact marketing? How are you specifically doing product marketing and communicating about the pros and I guess the benefits of the product itself. Yeah. And let me start by just talking about a couple of the benefits. So especially right now with the economies coming back and the vaccine Mm. rolling out, um, there is a huge upsurge in hiring, um, particularly in certain industries. And it's interesting. We're seeing it in retail, for example, e-commerce certainly has been going on for a while. Also construction, um, financial services, um, we've actually seen, I think it's over 20% more video interviews happening in the first five months of this year than the first wow. five months of last year. We're also seeing over 50% of people doing their interviews outside of work hours, which uh-huh. is kind of fascinating. But to, to really communicate the message, one of, those, one of the new things that I've, I'm a big champion of is building influencer programs. Uh And so we have kind of two influencer programs that we're doing. One is really focused around artificial intelligence. And there's a lot of um, kind of experts, industry groups uh, looking at AI and the impact that it has and the benefits. And so we've been, we kind of curated a group of people in that space and we give them kind of regular updates on what we're doing from an AI perspective. And and the interesting thing there is that we have two teams that work together. We have a team of IO psychologists that are specialists in um, understanding, you know, people and roles and competencies and predicting performance and kind of the psychology side of hiring. And then we have a team of data scientists that are building the models of looking at um, taking all all of the data and and then being able to use machine learning to predict outcomes and build those assessment models. And those two teams work together. Mm. Um, So that's one of the things that uh, we're trying to do through that one influencer program. And then the other influencer program, we kind of call it the higher view circle is we've, we've looked at 
key advocates in our customer base, um, kind of industry analysts. Um, and we do regular briefings with them kind of in advance of new product announcements or things that are coming out um, to get their feedback and then to encourage them to share what we're doing through their channels as another way to kind of break through um, the, you know, the, the crowded digital space, which is, I think, one of the biggest challenges right now with and, everything being Though it's it's interesting you mentioned influencers. So obviously being a more B2B focus, when you speak about influencers, are these people who are, say, thought leaders on LinkedIn, Twitter, in a certain technical space that you're engaging? How does that work? Yeah. So, you know, some of the, the biggest ones in the HR tech space are people like Josh Burson, Jason Averbrook, oh, yeah. that are basically have their own analysts and consulting firms and putting out a lot of content. And so we want to make sure that people like that are aware of what we're doing. And when they're talking to others about the trends, they're communicating and pushing out what we're doing. But there's also, um, you know, people from our customer base. It could be from our customer base over there, like Telstra or ComBank that are big customers, Foxtel, um, that are kind of champions and have their own um, you know, LinkedIn following and are talking about trends and recruiting and talent acquisition and, um, you know, making sure that they feel like they have the inside edge for new things that are coming out and they can be pushing that out within their channels. So very different than the, you know, the B2C influencers that you yeah. I mean, for, for any, let, let's say you were speaking to a CMO at a smaller organization that is just starting to test out and, and view uh, influence, let's say, as a, another channel to to go through, what recommendations would you give them if, let's say, if they were overly cautious about getting into engaging with influencers in particular, what would sort of be the number one thing that they, they should want to get out of it? The first thing to do is to leverage your own employees as influencers, right? And make sure yeah. that you have um, uh, curating content that your own employees can push out through their social channels and can drive engagement. So that's kind of an easy thing to do. And then I would say to start small of really looking at the customer that you're trying to reach and looking at where do they go for information could be blogs, could be, um, you know, just looking at what's happening in, in, in things like Facebook or, or, um, Instagram or TikTok. Now that's, that's a whole nother topic. There's a ton of recruiting going on on TikTok as a platform, um, as a new trend. So looking at who those influencers are and maybe starting just small and picking a couple and then, you know, trying to build relationships with them and brief them on new things that are coming out and, and, and see how it goes. It doesn't have to be a big hefty effort. Um, Mm. you know, can be, and you can also work with an agency that can, you know, build paid influencers for you too. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, an exciting area. I think you touch on um, something that is often overlooked, and that when people see influencers, they assume it girls or guys on platforms like Instagram. But we all push influence to our peers in some way. So there are different layers of influences, whether it's employees, like you said, talent, like I mentioned, or technical experts. So um, I think with B two B focused companies, they they should consider that. Well, and, and just to give you another example, so we just launched a new product called HireView Builder, mm-hmm. and it's actually a great product for companies that are focused on diversity and inclusion because it helps you pr- uh, build structured interviews so you can provide a consistent and fair um, interview process um, to help eliminate bias. And so basically with the tool, you can enter in a job role 
and it will pull from a database and recommend the competencies that you need for that job. And then you select the competencies that you think are most relevant. And then it'll give you recommended interview questions and then consistent evaluation criteria so that everybody's evaluating someone the same way, not based on their bias. Like, oh, we went to the same school together. You know, you have kids, I have kids. So we have more in yeah. common. You know, there's a lot of biases that just happen naturally um, and can provide kind of an inconsistent and unfair process. So this um, is something new. And we just were brainstorming, like, how could we push this out through influencers? And there's two other channels that we just came up with. One is that we just had a new person join our board. Her name is Sharon Taylor, and she's a phenomenal HR leader, you know, with huge, you know, experience over 30 plus years. And so having her be an influencer for us with this new product, she sits on our board. Another yeah. example is we're owned by private equity, by the Carlisle Group, massive um, private equity company. They have a huge diversity and inclusion program. So we met with a diversity and inclusion leader at the Carlisle Group, uh -huh. And we're looking at how we can leverage them as an influencer because they have a wider ecosystem of channels that they're pushing out diversity and inclusion messages. Yeah. So those are just a couple of things that, you know, you might not think about if you're kind of in that more of the B2C influencer realm. Yeah, definitely. I think I'd underline that for sure. Okay. We were chatting earlier about marketing progression. Obviously, every marketer goes through a different level of maturity at different stages. I think you you often start at that, um, the, the things that you can see, which are base layer, performance marketing, understanding social, SEO, pay-per-click, all that sort of stuff. Then you sort of get into the more enhanced stuff, which is maybe enhanced targeting or a better understanding of messaging and campaigns, which sort of starts to lean towards um, brand marketing. And then when you come up to sort of that CMO level, really you're managing people, a P&L, and specialists who are taking care of oftentimes... Um, you know, I was speaking to a car exec the other day here locally for an Asian car manufacturer. And I think he said he had 120 plus channels that they are focused on. So um, obviously things get more complex over time. It sort of sounded like to me, the thing that had the biggest impact other than time on your career was basically sticking your neck out and saying, I want to have a go at this project. What would you say to that person who's wanting to to jump up and, and layer up over time would be the biggest thing they could do if they can't get access to, to further projects? Yeah, I think it's it's change jobs. Move yeah. around. You know, like uh there's there's always tons of opportunities out there. And I think sometimes if you're getting stagnant in the role that you're in and you're not able to bridge to new roles or to new projects then I think it's moved to a different company and get a yeah. different experience there. Um, leverage your network. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you, you, you know, people that you might know that you went to school with or um, through other connections of getting you into different types of roles, um, I think is a fantastic way to do that. And then I think just learn. There's so much content out there on the internet. You can go on YouTube and you can learn anything. Um, yeah, that's a good point. You know, that you don't know. And so do self-learning. I still do that today. I actually you know, was a bet in these big companies for so long and now moving into a smaller company, I found this program out of Spain called the Power MBA. Okay. And I've just been doing this for fun on the side, not because I feel like I need to have an MBA at this point in my career, but 
because what they do is they bring entrepreneurs that have started businesses and they're teaching the classes. And so there's so much new stuff in there that you wouldn't actually get if you were doing, you know, a traditional MBA at an accredited school. Um, and so that's, you know, what I try to do is just read, you know, learn wherever I can and, and constantly be learning new things. Out of interest, what's the most recent uh, YouTube wormhole that you've fallen into lately? <laughs> Those YouTube wormhole. Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know if there's anything on YouTube. I think the probably the biggest one I've been poking around in is not YouTube, but is TikTok. Oh, which that's, that's fascinates so me because of one, I have 13-year-old daughters, but two, because of this, like I, I was couldn't fathom how there would be like business being done on TikTok. Um, but now there's people that are like trying to have recruiting channels and looking at how you can make a video to present yourself to get jobs. And so, um, that's, so that's kind of, I, I always try to you know, get myself out there and, and check out these new platforms that I may personally not be engaging with at my phase of life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, TikTok to me is utterly fascinating. To, for me personally, it is the most interesting platform out there right now. Um, I think I looked at my phone the other day and unfortunately I think I'm spending like two to three hours a day on it because, you know, if you look at our organization, our T shape is sort of, um, the top part T is, is generally social and influencers, but the specialization is more and more becoming TikTok. And, Mm. um, you know, the talent that we manage are all, all basically dominant on TikTok here in Australia. It's fascinating to me because that algorithm scares me how much it how much it knows about me and how much it'll serve me the the type of content that I want more than any other platform um, I found. So did you yeah, watch for, the social dilemma? Yeah, I've seen the social dilemma. Um, very, very, very aware of aware of that. And uh, I've got my I don't know if you've got it, but you know, the the reminder on the apps, uh, I think I've got a 15 minute time limit. My problem is at the moment, I'm ignoring that time limit specifically for TikTok at the moment, which is a bad, bad habit, very bad habit. But yeah, I went through a little phase, which is embarrassing as a marketer, where I turned off all the notifications. I'm like, <laughs> getting rid of all this. And then I very quickly turned them all back <laughs> on again. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to do that. I had to do it particularly on social media because I would just be stuck in a vortex and I could, I could rationalize it as work. So, um, and then I'd get actually no real work done, so to speak. Exactly. Um, Marta, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, where can people find you and the work that you do at Highview on the interwebs? Yeah, well, um, definitely check out highview.com to see what we're doing at Highview and some of the new um, campaigns that we're doing. One other thing I just wanted to mention, I have it behind me as we launched a new um, kind of creative campaign and theme around hiring mobilized. Mm. Um, and we have a lot of different content trying to kind of connect. Like this is a picture from India, um, uh, which is a, a, an area that I love in the world, but just trying to connect with people in a in a different way than the standard kind of corporate content that's often used in, in B2B. Mm. And then um, people can definitely find me on LinkedIn, Marta Hassler DeBellis, or on Twitter at Marta DeBellis. Um, but yeah, it's been great to talk to you, and and I hope it was uh, helpful. It was very helpful. And that the platform that you're most active on is, would you say that's LinkedIn? Yes, definitely LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, we'll make sure we link all of that in the show notes. Um, but yeah, Marta, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day.